Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Normally right here, I'd say, let's give it up for the band, but I feel like now that has been mocked openly. So, um, hey, so grateful that you're here today. And I just want to say this, if you're brand new with us today, um, you may feel like a little bit of an outsider as we celebrate 15 years of our church, but we don't want you to feel like an outsider. Um, We know that uh, if you haven't been in church in a while, uh, maybe it's been since you were a kid or maybe you've never been in church uh, church can feel a little bit foreign. It can feel a little bit strange. And you feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, but we believe that the opposite should be true. And so we've created this place really with you in mind. We want this place to feel like home. Uh, we want you to feel like you're among your people. And we want this place uh, to be a place where you can belong long before you believe anything that we believe. And the reason for that is... The reason for that is we want you to feel at home with your heavenly father, the God that created you. And we believe that everybody on the face of this earth has been invited into a relationship with him. And you don't need to buy into all of that today or experience all that today. We just hope that you come back and you join us again. But again, we're so grateful uh, that you're here. We're wrapping up a series today. A series is just when we take a specific topic and we talk about it for several weeks. And we're wrapping up a series today called Less Is More. And we've been talking about the last couple weeks, these areas of our lives where less really is more. The first week we talked about less self leads to more life. And then last week talked about money. And uh, we didn't say that less money is more, but less worry about money, less anxiety about money, less concern or consumption by money in our lives leads to more life. And today I'm actually going to flip the script a little bit. As we wrap up the series today, I want to talk about something uh, that that we actually could always use more of in our lives and in our communities. Because there are certain things in our lives that more is more and that less is more. That that whole phrase doesn't really play out with some of these areas. For instance, um, our health, uh, health is something that more health is always more. Uh, you've never gone to the doctor and had the doctor pull out uh, the, your chart and go, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I see what the problem is here. You are too healthy, too healthy. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I want you to get a membership to the Golden Corral. And I'm just gonna go ahead and just ask you three times a week, just at least three times a week, I want you to visit and just take advantage of that membership and then come back and see me in a month. We'll see what kind of progress you've made. You know, that, that, is, that has never happened. There's no such thing as too much health. More health is always a good thing, whether it's physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Um, parents, uh, if you're a parent in the room, there's, um, there's really no point at which loving your kids becomes too much love. You can't love your kids too much. It's like Kelly and I didn't get to, we have four young boys and, and we're still kind of in the, in the thick of it, but it's not like we loved them well for five years and then like looked at each other and just high-fived, hey, great job, honey, we've done it. We've loved them for five years, we're good to go. No more love required. No, it's 
all day, every day. And, and many of you in here, you have adult grown children and uh, talking to, you, to, to those of you that, that do have grown children, you're like, hey, it never stops. You never stop parenting. You never stop loving your kids in that way. So more love for your kids is always more. Um, another thing uh, that more is more is uh, the Georgia Bulldogs being number one in the nation in football. I don't know. I, I feel like it's appropriate to mention that today. It's day one, y'all. This is day one, okay? And more of this would be a good thing. I hope this goes on for forever. It just, it's proof that there are some things in life that more really is more. And as we've been talking about in this series, we've been looking at some passages from the New Testament and looking at ways that as we follow Jesus in our lives, that these principles play out. And the apostle Paul actually said 2000 years ago, that, that, uh, that, that more is more. There are some things in life that you just really can't get enough of. You can't get too much of. He said it this way in Galatians 5. He says, against such things, there is no law. People talked about the law a lot back then, especially in religious contexts. Ancient Judaism um, had a tremendous amount of laws that were to be followed. And, and Paul goes through this list of things. And after he finished listing them, he says, against such things, there is no law. There is no limit. There is no enough. There is no too much. And uh, what Paul was essentially saying is with these things, more is more. And you'll see, I I made that up down there. That's the AJV, the Adam Johnson version. So just made that up for fun. But essentially, that's what Paul was saying. And uh, if you rewind a couple verses earlier, we're going to take a look at what he says. You may be familiar with this passage, but in, in Galatians 5, Paul is talking about uh, this dichotomy between what he calls the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit is, is God's spirit helping us live out his life as we follow Jesus. So that's it, kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is what, call, what Paul calls the flesh. And the Greek word for flesh means a couple of different things throughout the New Testament. One, it can just mean like our actual physical flesh, but oftentimes it's used to refer to our sinful nature. Um, that part of us that's, uh, that's broken or, or that, that constantly has an appetite for things that are destructive to us and to other people. We, we talked about this the first week when we talked about being selfish. I, I, I shared that I didn't have to teach my sons to be selfish. They were just born with it. They, they grew up knowing, you know, very early age, they would steal each other's toys and they would, you know, take a cookie from the cookie jar and then not tell the truth about it. You know, no one taught them to do those things. They were simply born with it. And again, the, the Christian faith traditionally has called that our sinful nature or our flesh. And so Paul is setting up in Galatians 5, he's setting up this dichotomy between the flesh and the spirit. And he goes through all the acts of the flesh. He says they're obvious and, and they're obvious for, for you and I today as well. You probably know the specific ways that your flesh tends to rise up in your life. Uh, but then he, he begins to transition here. And in verse 22, he says this, but, but the fruit of the spirit, meaning what's produced in our lives when we follow Jesus and we allow uh, God's spirit to have its way in our lives, we kind of open up our hands and surrender to him and say, God, I just, I wanna choose your way over my way, the fruit of the spirit, what's produced in our lives is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul says, here's, here's the line, against such things, there is no law. With these things, Paul is saying, more is more. And you think about it, I mean, 
you've never uh, heard someone as they, they look through these different categories, you've never heard someone say, you know what, you're just, you're being too loving. Or, or we've never thought to ourselves, you know what, I've just got too much peace in my life. Yeah, I mean, I've been a really, really peaceful person and I've finally hit that limit where enough's enough. I mean, I've got too much peace. I need some more conflict in my life. I need some more arguments in my life. I need some more discord and, you know, just, I need my heart to kind of be in a knot all day as I go throughout my day at work. No, we, we've never said that. We've never said that about peace. Forbearance, this is also known as patience. You know, you've never heard someone say to their spouse, hey, honey, um, you've just been too patient with me. I need you to, I need you just to lose your temper, temper on me, you know, kind of uh, stop showing me so much patience. No, there's, there's no limit to the amount of patience that we can show. Same thing with all of these, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. With these things, more is more. Paul goes on, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith in him or those who have chosen to follow him and kind of surrendered their life to him have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this is some really strong language and he's, he's borrowing language from Jesus's own death on the cross, that he was crucified. And he's saying that, that when we kind of turn our lives over to Jesus, when we put our eyes on him and we begin to follow him with our lives, that that flesh part of us, those desires of us, we, we crucify those things. Again, it's powerful, strong language, but essentially it's saying, okay, I'm gonna die to these things, these desires, and I'm gonna live for the spirit. I'm gonna allow the spirit to have its way in me. So Paul says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, the, 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 marvelous thing and the mysterious thing about God is for the last 2,000 years, the way in which he has led believers to do this, the avenue through which he helps us keep in step with the Spirit, the vehicle through which we keep in step with the Spirit is the local church. It's the local church. And Jesus started it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was with his disciples and he brought up this idea of the church. They'd been following him for a long time at this point. But this was the first time that he brought up the church. It's in Matthew chapter 16. And you may be familiar with this passage as well. If you've been in church for some time, you've probably heard it taught on before, but it says this, that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he kind of stops and he gives his disciples a pop quiz. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and give a little more context to Caesarea Philippi. The reality is anytime you write something in a cultural context, there's things that go without being said. There's things that are assumed that the audience or the readers would know without the author having to say it. Here, here's a, a, an example. If I was writing you a letter today and I said that I hopped on 400 and went to Avalon you would know several things in there that go without being said. You would know that 400 means Highway Georgia 400. It's a highway that runs from Atlanta up into the North Georgia mountains. And you would also know what Avalon is. You would know that Avalon is a vortex that sucks in all the money and all the people in Alpharetta, <laughs> specifically on the weekends. No, you, you, would, you would know that. That goes without being said. I could say those things really quickly and then jump on to the rest of the story. But 2,000 years from now, if someone was reading that letter 
and they saw that I hopped on Georgia 400 or hopped on 400, they would think, well, what's, what is 400? Is that some sort of motorcycle? Is that some sort of trans, transportation that they had back in the day? Um, is that the name of the person's camel? They jumped, you know, they hopped on their camel and went to uh, Avalon. And, and what is Avalon? Is that some sort of spaceship? Is Avalon another planet? You know, you know, 2,000 years from now, there would be a lot that goes without being said for us that they wouldn't understand. And the same thing happens in scripture over and over again. And here's the thing, if that's intimidating you or you think, well, well goodness, I've, you know, why even read the Bible? Never before has it been more easy and more accessible to find tools to help you unpack these parts of scripture, the things that go without being said. There's countless free tools online that you can use to unpack some more of this stuff. But there's some things that go without being said right here. Caesarea Philippi was um, a, a part of the northern part of Israel. It was the bottom of Mount Hermon, this huge rocky mountain. And uh, at the bottom of this rocky mountain, there's a big rock face and there's a huge cave there. And inside this cave was a spring, a, a water source um, that back in the day, it, it flowed a great deal of water uh, came out of it. In fact, it was uh, the, the main source that fed the River Jordan. And uh, back in the day, because water was such a, a limited resource, anytime uh, there was a source of water, it would, um, people would associate religious things with it. So there's all sorts of temples that were built around this cave. And um, in, in those days, uh, people would build little shrines or little altars there at the mouth of the cave. And many of them believed uh, that the, the God of Hades, uh, the, the Greek God Hades, the God of the underworld, they thought that the cave was actually a passage to the underworld. And so there was a nickname of this place. They called it the Gates of Hades. And uh, many of them believed that in order to get water to flow out of the cave, they needed to entice the gods or they needed to awaken the gods. And in order to do that, they would do all sorts of detestable and deplorable acts there at the cave. There, there was uh, rumors of human sacrifice and animal sacrifice and many other things. And so you can just imagine that as Jesus brings his disciples to Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, they're probably thinking to themselves, really? Like they had heard about this place. They, they knew about this place. And all of a sudden Jesus takes them there and it's like, wait a second, Jesus, can we, can we be here? Are we allowed to be here? I mean, can we, can we even see what's going on over there? It would be similar to modern day if Jesus were to take his disciples to the red light district in a city. So you can tell they're, they're, they're probably puzzled. They're probably curious as they look at the shrines and the altars to all these other gods. What is Jesus up to? And that's the context is Jesus gives his disciples a pop quiz. He asks them this, this question first. He says, who do people say the son of man is. Again, keep in mind that they're in Caesarea Philippi. Maybe they're in, in sight of the cave and they can see all of the different shrines and the altars. And they know what the area is known for. And Jesus says, hey, well, who, do people, who do people say that I am? Their first thought is probably, well, I'm, I'm looking around and it doesn't look like the people think of you much at all. I mean, here's all these altars and all these shrines to all these other gods. 
Well, that's not their response. And I'm, I'm kind of reading into this a little bit, but I'm thinking they're probably thinking to themselves, we can't, we can't say like what we think other people, ah, I don't think other people think of you at all. You know, it's like, we need to say something positive here. Jesus has asked us, hey, who do people say I am? So they're gonna respond with this really positive response. They say this, the disciples replied. Uh, some say John the Baptist. Yeah, John, some, some have called him John the Baptist, right? Yeah, some say John the Baptist. Um, others say Elijah. Yep, that's a good one. We could, we could say they're comparing you to Elijah. And hey, John, didn't you hear somebody call him Jeremiah one day? Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah, you're Jeremiah, that's right. Or, or one of the prophets. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of a catch-all, really positive statement that we can say about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I think people are saying that you're a prophet. And then Jesus makes it a little more personal. He says, but what about you? What about you? And I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Jesus was really concerned about their answer to who do people say that I am. I think he was ultimately driving to this question right here. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter, the, one of the boldest of all the disciples, he's the one that steps up and answers. He says this, you are the Messiah, the Christ. This means the anointed one. And for centuries, the Jewish people pointed to a coming Messiah that would rescue people from their sins rescue the entire world from their sins. Peter says, you are him. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I think it's no coincidence that Peter put that word in there. Is they're potentially looking over at these altars and shrines to all these other gods. And he's thinking to himself, you know what? We believe there's one living God. There's one living God. And these altars, these shrines, unfortunately, those gods aren't real and those gods aren't alive. There's one living God and Jesus, you are his son. And Jesus responds to him. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you which is kind of an interesting answer. He didn't say you're right. I mean, if you were in class and you got the pop quiz right, you know, it'd be a little odd if your teacher said, hey, blessed are you, Adam, for getting the answer right. You know, that would, that would be a little strange, but this word blessed, I mean, we, we often translate it as happy. There's, there's not a great word for word translation for it from the Greek, but essentially it means being in your happy place or being in the zone heard that phrase before. People talk about being in flow. They've hit flow. It's like, Peter, you are in the zone. You have hit flow. You are in your happy place with that response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I have to imagine that this was so comforting to the disciples at this time, because again, they're looking at, at all the other belief systems and all the different things that people are believing in that moment. And, and they know, they're convinced, Jesus, you are the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we know that life is found in you and we want everyone else to experience it. But look, there's so many that don't get it. And Jesus is like, hey, you, you didn't come up with this on your own. You didn't just drum up faith on your own. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, I'm gonna have faith today. Arr, I've got faith, you know? He's like, no, this was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And he's gonna reveal it to the rest of them, all of those people in his timing as well. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. 
This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Then Jesus continues, he says, and I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And this is the first time, one of the only times that Jesus mentions church. And it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering or assembly or community. And Jesus is saying that a gathering and a community, an assembly and many assemblies will be built on this, on this rock. He's talking about Peter in, in the declaration that Peter made, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this is so fascinating. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I don't know about you, but every time I read this verse growing up or someone, I heard someone else read it, I always thought of like these fiery gates of hell, you know, coming after you know, the spiritual forces in the world, you know, and how much, how much more fascinating is it to think about? No, wait a second. There was a place that was nicknamed the gates of Hades that was not far from where they were. Maybe they were standing just outside of it as Jesus was talking to his disciples. And it's as if Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna build my church on that declaration and on you, Peter. In the gates of Hades, you see all these shrines and, and all these other things that are going on and, and it may feel hopeless for our cause, but I'm just telling you, they will not overcome it. The word overcome means strength, strength to prevail. He's saying they're not gonna be stronger than my church. They're not gonna be able to prevail over my church. My ecclesia, my assembly, my gathering. That was 2,000 years ago that Jesus stood with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi and he talked about what was gonna happen in his church. And as we celebrate 15 years today, this is the amazing thing. We're a small part of the fulfillment of Jesus's words 2,000 years ago. We are an extension of, we are a living out of Jesus's words to his disciples 2,000 years ago. And so today I wanna take a look back over the last 15 years and I wanna celebrate what God has done through this church. And if you're brand new with us, it, it may feel like we're, we're bragging on this church. We're, really, we're not. We're, we're actually bragging about the people that are seated around you, the people that are watching online today. People that have given their time and given their energy, given their minds and their hearts to this place in order that others in this community could come to know Jesus in a personal way. So I just wanna take a few minutes and celebrate some of the numbers of people that have come in and out of this church over the last 15 years. And starting point, we've had 1,621 people go through that environment. Starting point is for seekers, starters, returners, people that are kind of new to faith or just returning to faith and they have really hard questions. They're kind of holding them back. Like, I wanna believe, but I've just got this thing that I, if I can't solve this, I don't know if I can truly trust Jesus. And they get into a circle. They have a conversation in a safe place where there's no judgment, no condemnation, no questions off limits. And many of these people come to know Jesus in a personal way. Baptisms, we had 2,313 people go public with their faith over the last 15 years. 
We've had 13,348 individual, unique individual adults and groups. You think about the conversations that this number represents. The people who joined a group thinking everything was gonna be fine and then a couple months later went through one of the hardest times of their life and had people to walk alongside them and encourage them and hold them up during those times. All the things that were celebrated in those small groups, the steps that were taken in people's faith in those small groups. Somebody prayed out loud for the first time. Somebody put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Somebody shared something they had never shared with anybody else before, but there just was a safety among that group. They were able to share that thing. Next up, Wombaland, 9,356 kids in Wombaland where they learned that God created them, God loves them, and Jesus wants to be their friend forever. What a foundation for life. Upstreet, 13,956 kids. That's like 15 different elementary schools, total elementary schools that have come through this church. Transit, 12,041 middle schoolers. That's a lot of Axe body spray, y'all. So if you're walking through the halls, you smell that. That's, that's coming from the attic. Lastly, inside out, 9,162 unique individual high schoolers that have gone through inside out. There's countless other numbers we could put up here. Things you've done through Be Rich, things you've done to give and serve, your reputation in the community, your, rep- your, your reputation in our school system. But here's the thing. What, what I love far more than these numbers are the individuals behind them the individual stories behind them, the individual families that have been impacted, the individual marriages that have been saved or restored, the individual children or student that will never know the impact this church has had on them because it prevented them from going down a really hard road. Because they were in a small group sharing about life, they they chose this way and not this way. And we'll never know that and we'll never be able to measure that. But we give thanks for it nonetheless. There's so many amazing stories. And I, I wanna share a couple of them as we wrap up today. I, I could have spent the entire time today sharing these stories of people's personal experiences here at Brownsbridge the last 15 years. Um, Juan, Lacey, and Scott, they, they were inside out leaders uh, for, for many years, been a part of our church for a long time. And, and Lacey uh, had a girl join her group her sophomore year. Her name was Morgan and she was a foster child. And uh, Lacey begins, like all of our great inside out leaders do, begins to develop a relationship with this girl, get to know her. And as she bounces from home to home and beginning of her senior year, she gets put in a group home, which is a really, really challenging thing for those in foster care. If you're familiar with foster care at all, you know that. And it made it really challenging for her to come to inside out. So Lacey would drive and get her from the group home and let her kind of hang out at her house all day, take her to inside out. They would do dinner and then she would take her back to the group home. And towards the end of that senior year, Lacey and Scott were praying and they felt God begin to lead them to adopt Morgan. And like Lacey brought it up with Scott thinking, oh my gosh, my husband's gonna think I'm crazy. And Scott's like, no, I feel like God's leading me in the same way. And so they began the process several years ago. And last year, June 22nd of 2020, here's what Morgan, the daughter, wrote on her Instagram. She said, today, today is the day I legally become a part of your family. She's talking to Lacey and Scott. The day that I change my name to Morgan Jernigan. The day that the state recognizes me as your daughter. With open arms, you took me in. Without any plan to adopt, without any idea, all of this would happen. Brownsbridge introduced me to you my sophomore year of high school. You were my small group leader. 
I bounced around six different homes, moved all four years of high school, and ended up in a group home my senior year. That's where our journey began, and you took me into your home to stay on the weekends, to get out for a little, and go to Inside Out. In December of 2018, I finally got to move in. You went to my senior nights, college visits, doctor's appointments, dealt with my depressive episodes, and went to every court hearing. Even when I was at my lowest of lows and tried to push you away, you never gave up. While you've made me a part of your family this past year, you also showed me what a family is supposed to look like. You chose me when my own family didn't. I love you, and to be a part of your family is all I could ever ask for. Today, I am legally yours forever and always. That's something you can always use more of, stories like that, right? You can't get too much of that. Another couple said that uh, on October 12, 2013, our house caught on fire. We lost nearly everything. Our newly formed small group, as well as the many others that we had been in group with, circled around us and took, so, took care of so much. We had meals taken care of for months at a time. We were given a house full of furniture and a rental home until we could figure out what to do. The community we experienced, the community we experienced is what made us love this church even more than we did before. We had a baptism story not long ago where the person shared um, from early childhood, I believed that I was different, unlovable, broken, a mistake. These were the words that defined me. There were things about me that only God and I knew and I believed were too great to be forgiven. And they talk about their young adult lives and running from one thing to the next and began to try out different churches. And it says, I left the small church I'd been attending and came to Brownsbridge looking for an anonymity, a place to hide amongst the crowd. So you think about what people are carrying every week when they walk in here. My friend recommended that I meet with a staff member and the staff member recommended that I applied for Renew program, which is one-on-one mentorship that goes on for several months where you begin to understand your identity in Jesus through your relationship with him. And with their help, she said, I began to see that Jesus loves me just the way that I am. And that not only have I always been included in his promises, he has never left my side. In fact, he has pursued me my entire life. This is when I decided to trust Jesus and accept him as my savior. One more. This is from Kathy. She says, it's hard to put into words what Brownsbridge has meant to me and my family. These past 15 15 years have been some of the most joyful and most heartbreaking years of my life. But in hindsight, I can see how God had gone before me and equipped me for what was to come. When Brownsbridge opened, I was a young single adult. Little did I know that I would soon meet my future husband and raise our four kids in this church. Scott and I did our premarital mentoring through BB, Brownsbridge. A few years later, we began our journey into parenthood and eventually entrusted all four of our babies to the amazing volunteers in Wombaland and Upstreet and now Transit each Sunday. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to actually see the beginning of their young faith journey while also enriching our adult faith through volunteering and being in numerous small groups. When I was diagnosed with cancer, our amazing small group rallied around us and prayed for us, loved us, supported us, and carried us through the horrible time in our lives. Then when my father passed away, the ladies in my women's group were right by my side as I went through some of the saddest days of my life. Scott's men's group had been such a blessing to him through all of this as well. God knew Scott and I would need these precious friends, and it was no mistake that we were in those small groups during those really hard seasons. The love and support our kids have received over the years from their small group leaders has been remarkable. Our kids actually get excited to come to church and they love to worship and learn about Jesus. 
Life can be really tough, but being a part of a church like Brownsbridge has truly been such a gift to us. Our faith and the faith of the next generation have triumphed and will continue to thrive as Brownsbridge Church continues to inspire people to follow Jesus. I am so honored and grateful to call Brownsbridge my home church, and I'm ex- excited to see what the next 15 years brings. And again, there's countless other stories that I could read to you today, that I could share to you today. But folks, that is what it's really all about. It's not about big numbers. It's not about overflowing hallways, overflowing kids' environments. It's about people coming into a relationship with Jesus and see God in tangible ways, take care of them and walk with them. Seeing the personal nature of the God that created us and wants a relationship with us. Those are stories that we can always use more of. Less is not more, more is more. And again, the way God chooses to do that is through his church. And so as we look back and we celebrate 15 years, we don't just stop there today. We also look forward. We look forward to the next 15 years and the years that will follow that. And we look forward to what God will do in the lives of students and of children and of adults in this community. And not just Christians that have found a new church home, but of the people in our community that think they're too far from God. People that think they're on the outside looking in, people that think they're not worthy enough or haven't been good enough. We want those people to come in our doors and feel welcomed and ultimately connect into the life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, at this point of our service, I would... um, typically close in prayer. But um, today what I wanna do is a little bit different. I wanna pray, I I wanna show the prayer that Andy prayed 15 years ago on our opening Sunday. 15 years ago, this is what Andy talked about and what Andy prayed. And in light of the stories that I just read, I want you to hear what Andy prayed back then. And I think it's so applicable to where we're headed as a church in the future. It's our prayer today as well. Here we go. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that this day will just be the beginning of things. I want to pray and I want you to join me in prayer. And if you pray for Browns, would you you pray this? Would you pray, God, please fill up the big seats, the middle-sized seats and the little seats with men and women and children who need to be here, who aren't simply church shopping, but who are disconnected from you and bring them here and give us the opportunity to be your body, your hands and feet in their life so that they would be changed from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's very emotional for many of us. It's totally overwhelming. And Lord, we know, and you know, it's not about the building or the facility or the property. It's not even about the staff. It's about the church. Thank you for allowing us to be an extension of something that happened in the first century that you've committed to do with us or in spite of us. Father, we sure sure wanna be a part. We wanna be able to look at some arena of our life and say, there's where God's at work and I'm a small part of that. Father, thank you ahead of time for the stories we're gonna hear, for the faces we're gonna see on the screen, for the teenagers who will be different because of the environment you've helped us create. For the children who will grow up and all they'll know of church is, it's a great place to be. It's a part of life. 
is something you don't miss. Father, help us to be great stewards with this incredible opportunity and with these amazing facilities. And again, thank you, Father, for the men and women who believe this was something that needed to be done and were willing to sacrifice to get it here. In Jesus' name, amen.